0: Second Thessalonians chapter number two is going to be our text today. All of you know that uh, throughout the world, there are these ingenious systems that are alarm systems or early warning systems that warn people of impending danger and alert people that they need to find a safe place. You, you know, I'm speaking of things like um, air raid sirens that would sound in a war zone when, a, when an air raid is detected or a missile attack alarm that might come or a rocket attack. In certain places of the world where those kinds of attacks happen regularly, they'll sound an alarm that, that rockets have been detected. And now they not only sound an alarm audibly, um, you know, in communities, but now they come on your phone because everybody's carrying a smartphone. So now all over the world where this is necessary, these kinds of alerts just kind of cause your phone to start alarming as well. Um, It's even uh, in places in America, Uh, for instance, in places in the Midwest we don't have rocket alarms, but we do have tornado alarms. So when a tornado touches down in an area, then people in its path get this early warning alert that a tornado is coming. In California, there are early uh, there are earthquake warnings, early detection of tremors that warn people um, that these kinds of things are happening. And even uh, if it's not those complex systems like you know air raid alarms and things like that, if it's the most simple system, like you and I have in our homes, which are smoke detectors, it's an early warning system. It's there so that in the middle of the night when you're snoozing and there's a fire that begins to burn in your home, the, the first little scent of smoke or heat that that fire alarm feels it's going to alert you. So whether it's the complex, or if it's the simple alert in the smoke detector in your home. All of these systems have one very simple life-saving purpose. It is to interrupt your life. It is to startle you out of your comfort. And none of them, none of them are polite. (laughs) Amen? None of them say, "Uh, excuse me, can I just tell you something? They all go, you know, I'm not gonna do what they do, but you know what they do. They're this this blaring kind of loud alert, and they all say, trouble is ahead, danger's coming. Get ready, get to a safe place. And we believe, don't we, that people ought to listen to those alerts. They ought to respond to those alarms, Listen to what Proverbs says about this. Proverbs 27, uh, 12 says, a prudent person, the prudent or a wise person, sees danger and hides themselves, takes shelter in a safe place. But the simple, let me translate the, the word simple for you, but the stupid, that's what it means, but the stupid person sees danger, just keeps on going, and suffers because of it. Well, it's my prayer that today is going to be an early warning kind of day for all of us in this room. That today is going to be a day that sounds the alarm in all of our hearts, particularly those of you who have come today or you're watching online and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You're not absolutely certain that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If that's you or... Uh, regardless of that, for any of us, I'm hoping that today is going to be an alarm kind of a day. Here's the alarm. Here's the alert. Here's the warning. There is a time of trouble that is coming to this earth. Now, you may say, well, we're living in it, man. I mean, we're in pretty dire straits now. Well, as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? No, there's a time of trouble coming to this, this earth that Jesus said, The world has never seen before and will never see again. Listen to how Jesus said it, Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 21. He said, For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Jesus says that when this time of trouble arrives, it will be worse than anything that's ever happened in this world. And following it, there will never be anything like it again. Jeremiah the prophet said the same thing. Alas, he writes, for the day is great so that none is like it. And he goes on to say, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble, means Israel, time of trouble for Israel, but he, Israel, shall be saved out of it. And if you're thinking, well, you know what, I'm not an Israelite, I don't live in Israel, I'm not Israeli, I'm not a Jew, so why does this have anything to do with me? Well, listen to what Jesus, again, speaking says in Revelation 3 and verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial or tribulation, which shall come upon the whole world to test all of those who dwell on the earth. This time of trouble is not only a time of trouble for Israel, it is a time of trouble that the Bible says is coming to the entire world. Now this time of trial or this time of trouble we often call, and in fact, the Bible refers to it by this name as well, we call it the Great Tribulation, the time of tribulation. And this time of tribulation that the Bible says is coming upon the whole world is described for us in the Bible repeatedly in different places, but most notably, you will find its description between Revelation chapter 6 And Revelation chapter 18, if you want to go read that when you have some time later, in great detail, John describes what this season will be like in those 13 chapters. For example, in Revelation chapter 6, John says that during the tribulation, peace will be taken from the earth. There won't simply be wars and rumors of wars, but war will break out throughout the earth. Peace will be removed from the earth, that there will be, according to John, a season of famine in the world and disease and death, unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We also read in Revelation chapter number 8 that during the tribulation there will be what I would call fiery hailstorms, literally hail and fire raining down from heaven. Some of the things that you read in Revelation 8 seem to describe asteroid impacts upon the earth. And Revelation 8 tells us that the waters of the earth, both the fresh water, the rivers, the lakes, the creeks, the springs, and even the oceans... Will all be poisoned and everything in them will begin to die. Now, Revelation 6 describes what is caused by man war, famine, and resulting death and disease. Revelation chapter number 8 describes natural occurrences, chaos in the cosmos. But Revelation chapter number nine describes something not caused by man and it's not naturally occurring. Revelation nine describes demonic hordes. Literally hordes of demonic beings set loose on the earth during the tribulation that will torment men and women in the earth. And then Revelation chapter number 13 describes the rise of one to power during that time, a world leader whom the Bible calls the Antichrist, John uses that language in 1 John, the Antichrist, in the book of Revelation he's called the beast. So this time of trouble that I hope we will be warned about today is a time of global chaos, global death, global warfare, famine, disease, demonic activity, all under the control, the rule of this Antichrist, this Man called the beast. Now, Revelation describes much more as well. You can go and read that later. One other thing I would say about the tribulation period is that we know how long it lasts. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that the tribulation lasts for a period of seven years. This is crystal clear in Daniel chapter number 9. It has a definite beginning period. We know what prompts its beginning. We know what brings it to a conclusion. So it's a definite beginning and a definite ending, and the time period is seven years. And those seven years of tribulation are a part of a season that the Bible refers to repeatedly in the Old and the New Testaments as the day of the Lord. You read this phrase over and over in the scriptures, the day of the Lord, Isaiah 34, in verse number 8, speaks of the day of the Lord as being the day of the Lord's vengeance. In Lamentations 2, in verse 2, the Bible says it will be the day of the Lord's anger. In Joel, chapter 2, in verse 1, it says these will be days in which the inhabitants of the earth will tremble. John in Revelation says a similar thing about the day of the Lord when he says that the people of the earth will cry because the day of the Lord is here. They will cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to hide them. Amos chapter five in verse 18 says, these will be days of darkness. And I'm gonna turn because I wanna read several verses to you out of Zephaniah. Let me invite you to turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 1. Now, if you don't know where Zephaniah is, it's the fourth to the last book of your Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, that's the beginning of the New Testament, then start backwards. You'll be in Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then right in front of Haggai, you will be in Zephaniah. Look in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 7. He says in that verse, hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now now he says in verse 7, here's what the day of the Lord will will be like when it comes. Verse number 8, it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice. God says, I will punish the princes. It will be a day of punishment. Skip to verse 14. This great day of the Lord is near. It is the great day of the Lord, and mighty men, verse 14 says, shall cry bitterly. It is a day of wrath, verse 15. It is a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. Verse 17 says, I will bring distress upon men. Verse 18 says, neither shall their silver or gold be able to deliver them. Turn over to chapter 3, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse number 8. In the middle of the verse, God says, For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all of my fierce anger. Now, by the way, compare that statement to what we learned last week out of Psalm 33, where we were thrilled to say that the Lord loves the nations. So last week we read where the Lord loves the nations. Today we read where the Lord will bring judgment upon the nations. Are both of those things true? They're absolutely both true. In the same way that God loves you. And yet if you continue to rebel against him and refuse to receive Christ as Savior, one day judgment will come upon you as well. We live in a space of grace. And God invites us into his grace and in his love, but if we refuse it, then judgment ultimately will come. Zephaniah 3 and verse 8 ends by saying, For all the earth, all the earth, every nation, shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That's Zephaniah. So imagine all of the prophets taken together tell us that this time of tribulation included in the day of the Lord is a day of vengeance and anger and darkness and trembling and crying and weeping and distress and despair and judgment and punishment and annihilation of the nations, the day of the Lord. Now the New Testament talks about the day of the Lord as well. It's called in the New Testament the day of the Lord, but it's also called in the New Testament the great day of God Almighty. And it's also called in the New Testament the day of Jesus Christ or the day of Christ. So think about the day of the Lord this way. The day of the Lord is a season in which Jesus will execute his wrath upon the nations. He will deliver his people... And he will ultimately come to establish his kingdom upon the earth. That's what the day of the Lord is. It's not one day. It is a season of time which will include the tribulation period. It will include his pouring out his wrath. It will include his rescue of his people and ultimately his establishment of his kingdom upon the earth. The day of the Lord. Now Paul writes to us about the day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians chapter number two. Follow along as I read beginning in verse number one. Paul says, now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that you would not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as from me that the day of Christ is at hand. There it is, the day of Christ. He's talking about the day of the Lord. You ought to circle that phrase, the day of Christ. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of Christ, the day of the Lord. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin must be revealed, the son of perdition. He will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, will sit in the temple of God, showing or declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what it is that is withholding him that he may only be revealed at his, in his time or at the right time. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, Only he who is now letting, the King James says, he who now letteth will let, means withhold or restrain, until he be taken out of the way. And then, then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, let's begin by thinking together about the timing of all of this. I said to you that we know how long the tribulation lasts. We, we know what will prompt its beginning and what will bring it to its conclusion. But the tribulation is simply a part of the day of the Lord more fully. So what's the timing? How can we know when all of this will unfold? Well, jot that down, the timing of the tribulation. What does the Bible tell us about the timing of the tribulation, Did you notice when I began reading in verses 1 and 2 that Paul's friends in Thessalonica seemed to be worried? They're concerned. They're confused about something. Verse number 1, Now we beseech you, we urge you, brothers, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that you will not be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Don't be worried. Stop fretting. Stop fretting about the fact that you think the day of the Lord has already Come. That's what verse number two says. They were worried because they had been given some false information. And the information they had received was, look, we're living in the day of the Lord now. We're living even in the tribulation now. Paul says, no, we're not. And don't worry that we might be. He says, don't worry even if somebody says they have the spirit of prophecy. That's verse 2. Don't be troubled by spirit. If somebody says, the spirit of the Lord told me we're living in the tribulation. He says, no, we're not. Don't worry. He says, don't be worried as if by word from me. Apparently, the rumor was out. You know, Paul had moved on from Thessalonians. Obviously, he's writing the letter to them. The word was out. The rumor was about that Paul is now preaching. We're living in the day of the Lord. He says, if you hear that, it's not true. I'm not saying that. And then he says, even if you get a letter purported to be written by me, if somebody reads the letter and they say that I wrote it, I didn't write it. We are not living in the day of the Lord yet. It hasn't come. He says, there's two ways we know that We're not yet living in the day of the Lord. Verse number one gives us the first reason. I urge you, brethren, on the basis of the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together unto him. Let me be perfectly clear with all of you this morning. If y'all are listening, shout amen. Amen. We're not living in the tribulation. Times may not be good. These are difficult days, but this is not the tribulation. Do you know how I know it? We're still here. (laughs) That's how I know it. By the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. All right? we know that, the, that we are not yet living in the day of the Lord. Secondly, we know it because verse number three tells us that day will not come except something happens first. And what will happen first, or at least one of the things, and there's a lot here, I don't have time to unpack it all, but notice verse three says one of the things that will happen first is that the man of sin will be revealed. This Antichrist that we read about in Revelation 13, he's called the son of perdition in verse number three. He must come forth. He must be revealed. Paul assures us that the tribulation period begins with the appearance of this one called the beast or the Antichrist or the man of sin or the son of perdition. Now, by the way, Daniel chapter nine affirms that exact same truth. If you wanna go read it later, Daniel nine tells us that the tribulation will begin when this man of sin comes forth and confirms a peace covenant with the, uh, the Jews for seven years. That marks the beginning of the tribulation. It also is affirmed in Revelation chapter six. In Revelation six, the Antichrist is the rider on the white horse who comes initiating or bringing about the events of the tribulation period. So the tribulation will not begin until the Antichrist rises to power. Listen to what Paul tells us about this one called the man of sin or the Antichrist. He describes him in verse three as the man whose life is marked by this corruption, by sin. He's the son of perdition, which means the son of hell. He is in verse number four. He is one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called divine or all that is called God. This is the reason, by the way, that he is called the Antichrist. He is anti, he opposes Christ, but he not only opposes, he usurps the place of. The word anti doesn't just mean opposed to, it means instead of. So he sets himself instead of Christ. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Look at verse number four. It goes on to say, so that he, pretending to be God, claiming to be God, he sits in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. By the way, do you notice, if y'all are listening, shout amen. Do you notice that during the tribulation, there must be a temple in Jerusalem? Do you see it in verse four? If he's going to go into the temple and sit in it and say, I am God, worship me, Well, there has to be a temple there. Daniel chapter 9 tells us the same thing, that in the temple that he will enter in halfway through the tribulation and he will cause them to stop offering sacrifices to God and demand that they offer sacrifice to him. He will enter into the temple. And by the way, there is a swelling, I've told you this recently, a swelling tide of desire among the Jews in Jerusalem today to build the temple of God on the the, uh, temple mount. In Jerusalem, It's all preparing. Well, he says that he will go in and declare himself to be God. This is the event that Daniel described and Jesus referred to in Matthew 24 as an event called the abomination of desolation. Have you heard that phrase? The abomination of desolation is that moment that the Antichrist will claim to be God and make the temple defiled or desolate. In verse number 8... He's called the wicked one, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8. He is the wicked one. In verse number 9, it tells us that he is empowered by Satan. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders to cause deceit. That he will use powerful signs and wonders, supposed miracles, even feigning a resurrection, his own resurrection, all to establish his credentials as the Messiah during the tribulation days. And yet, verse number 8 tells us, hopefully, I don't mean to say that as if we hope it'll happen. I mean, it gives us great hope knowing that it will happen. Verse 8 says, he will be destroyed at the coming of Christ. He will be destroyed by the glory of the returning Jesus and at his arrival. Now he's coming one day, this Antichrist, this beast is coming to do all of these things that the Bible describes. And in fact, it's entirely possible, I don't know for sure, of course, but it's certainly possible that he's alive today. Maybe a little boy, maybe rising up through the ranks of political power, maybe gathering influence even on the world scene as we speak. But I will say this to you very clearly, like Paul says, that his Arrival on the scene, his appearance on the scene will not happen at his own timing or at Satan's timing. It will happen at God's timing and not a moment before. Now, this is what the Bible says to us in verse number six and seven, that God has sovereign control over when he will come forth. Verse number six, you now, you now I'm sorry, and now you know what it is that is withholding him so that he can only be revealed when it's time. Verse number seven, for the mystery of iniquity is already working, yet he who now letteth, the King James says, will let until he's taken out of the way. The Greek word translated withhold in verse six and let in verse seven is the same word, and it means to restrain. You know what's restraining him, you know what's restraining him, and the, the, the one that is restraining him will continue to restrain him until he is taken out of the way. Well, it begs the question, what is restraining him? Who is it that is withholding or restraining that would keep, even if the Antichrist is alive and in power and and gathering steam and ready to step forth, he will not step forth until that one entity that holds him back is taken out of the way. So what is that one entity? Well, I would suggest that the only one who has the power to restrain this man of sin empowered by Satan, the only one who could restrain it would be God himself. In fact, God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. And so what is it that holds Satan back, holds the Antichrist back today? He cannot come forth until something is taken out of the way. What is it that will be taken out of the way so that he might come forth? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord will come and the dead will rise, and dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain shall be harpazo, caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That rapture of the church takes the body of Christ out, the Holy Spirit with us, the salt of the earth, the light of the world leaving, and now all hell will be unleashed on the earth. As the Holy Spirit is gone, the Antichrist will come forth. In fact, we've read many, many words in the prophets this morning where this day of wrath, this time of tribulation, is called the day of darkness, the day of wrath, the day of judgment. And when Paul talks in 1 Thessalonians 4 about the rapture of the church and God taking us out, he continues in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 9, and he says, while you're waiting for him to come, you be sober, you put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, you put on the hope of salvation, for here's what you're hoping in. This fact, verse 9, God has not appointed us to wrath. He has not appointed us to the place of wrath, but he has appointed us to receive deliverance or rescue from Jesus our Lord. they say, Pastor, what do you call this? It's called the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now, there are plenty of people who know Jesus who think that things unfold a little differently than that in the end times, and and that's okay if they want to think that way. Maybe you're here if you think a little differently. Listen, we've all got the right to be wrong, and you can choose that if you'd like to. I'm just kidding. Sort of. But we believe, I believe is my position, As a pastor of this church, in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And those of you who love to read theology and you love to read about eschatology, you can look this doctrine up. It's called dispensational premillennialism. If you're into that kind of thing, go look it up in some great resources, dispensational premillennialism. Now the second thing then that I want to say to you just in my closing few minutes is that you and I should be grateful with all of these things that we've learned about The day of wrath and the day of the Lord coming, and this day of darkness and day of weeping, and this time of tribulation, demonic hordes, and asteroids, and chaos in the earth, and death, and destruction, and war, and famine. This time that Jesus said would be a time like the world's never known, and it'll never know any other time like this. Then you and I should be glad that today we are living in the day of truth. Praise God. Did you notice, as we were reading about this one called the Beast, the Antichrist, did you notice his primary character trait? What's he like? Did you notice that it is a satanically inspired deception? That everything that he does is to deceive? And that his deceiving has one end, it's death. He deceives so that he can cause people to perish forever. This Antichrist is all about deception, but compare that with the one that he usurps, the one that he inserts himself in the place of, Jesus. In John chapter one in verse number 14, John said, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. It was the glory of the only-begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter eight, Jesus said, "You shall know the truth." The truth will set you free. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Here's the thing. You can live under the deception of Satan and his plan, or you can know the truth, and the truth will make you free and give you life. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the one who gives us hope. And so I hope that if you don't know Christ or if you've known Christ and yet you're wandering and running from him, that today, not my preaching, not my words, but the word of God, the certain word of God will be like a smoke alarm in the middle of your night. Trouble's coming. Jesus said trouble's coming. The Bible from beginning to end says trouble's coming. And the wise man sees trouble, and he runs to safety. And Jesus is the place of safety. So run to Jesus.